Chapter 21 Carol Lombard had no words. They were all gone, drained out of her body with everything else. She managed to utter some mid-range, feral moans, but they couldn't be classified as words. Her arched, glistening body became limp, and she fell forward against Ray. Luckily, her breasts cushioned the contact. No one was injured. She tried to say something, but her mouth was dry as hot desert air. She closed her mouth to conserve moisture and breathed heavily through her nostrils. She rested. After five or six seconds, a misguided dread of hyperventilation caused her to throw open her lips and gulp air. She finally settled into a rhythmic breathing pattern. Ray was stroking her back during the entire descent. Carol's gums dampened and she made another stab at conversation. Her tongue made clicking sounds while she performed exaggerated chewing motions to try to rid herself of the cotton that had somehow grown in her mouth. She closed up again and became quiet. At least the respiration remained normal. She tried to speak one more time and finally succeeded. That was worth waiting for. That was memorable. Carol remained on top of Ray, neither one wanting to waste additional precious energy. Both fell into a deep stupor, and their bodies laid dormant, leaning against each other. Ray awoke, eye to big round nipple. He panicked for a second, actually thought he had died and gone to heaven. After a moment, he recalled the prior night's adventure and rolled to his back. The stir roused Carol. She scooched closer to Ray and half-mounted him again, then immediately fell back into unconsciousness. Ray let her sleep for another 20 minutes, then gently shook her. Carol, honey, I have to go to a funeral. Carol Lombard came to her senses the fourth time Ray shook her. It took some additional focusing before she fully understood what he was saying. Finally, she asked, Should I go with you? Grandisha had escaped to the edge of the bed and was sitting erect. He started bending to make sure everything worked. Carol repeated the question from a prone position. Ray, still sitting, turned and answered, No. This is a personal and department thing. He twisted his upper torso, grimaced at the bone-popping sounds, and continued. I told you about her. Her name's Margie Grenk. She was with me and the guy I fired. I think it would be better if I went alone. Okay, baby. Whatever you say. Before dropping off, she silently commended herself for not adding... You mean the woman you locked yourself in the bathroom with. Grandisha stood and headed to the shower. When he returned, he was all groom and polish. Ray donned a black pinstripe suit, white shirt, and black tie. He tried bending over the bed to kiss Carol goodbye. The spotted, damp linen seemed to jump at his near-pristine outfit. He avoided the attack, but wasn't able to reach his girlfriend. The funeral and reception were well attended. Relatives, friends, well-wishers, and curiosity seekers. 
most of the police brass and city and council politicians made appearances. It was all very solemn. Margie remained attractively stoic but human throughout it all. The children followed her lead. Ray offered his condolences again as the luncheon was ending. They were alone, separated from the remaining guests. He said, You decide when you're ready to come back. Margie answered without pause, I'll be in tomorrow morning, ready to work. The detective bureau, after the funeral, resembled a pimp's convention. Almost everyone dressed to the gills. Ray's team was made up of real-life gritty detectives. Real-life gritty detectives were like mobsters. They loved fine clothes. Margie's tragedy gave them an occasion to parade the really good stuff. No one passed up the opportunity to grace the department, Ray included. The work wasn't affected. It never was. As mourners were bidding goodbye to Jason Grenk, Ricardo and Richard were eating lunch in the raucous school cafeteria. They were alone. Old friends had fallen by the wayside during their rise to power. New toadies hovered nearby, prepared to fetch at a second's notice. The school atmosphere was no longer affected by the recent slayings. Teens had fleeting interest in newspapers and never listened to non-music radio programs. There was no more talk of murderous bands roving the streets. Students were scattered throughout the hall in cliques, concentrating on their own immediate agendas. The two big men were discussing their plans to test drive each horror they were going to acquire giggling like little boys. Richard's old girlfriend, Bobby, sat four tables over in the middle of other young girls. She was wearing a short skirt displaying attractive legs. Bobby hadn't yet learned to position herself at all times to avoid prying eyes. Ricardo's angle of view allowed him to occasionally ogle glimpses of white skin under Bobby's table. Other bodies, milling from group to group, blocked his sight more often than not. He gave up his sleazy attempt to cop a peek and returned his attention to his partner. Whatever happened to your old girlfriend, Bobby? The kid feigned surprise. Didn't you hear? She's going to work for us. Richard thought for a few seconds and decided to add more. She's still a virgin. I think we'll auction her ass off the first time. Morales gestured with a nod of his head. How come she's sitting over there and never says anything to us? Those were my orders to her. I told her, when we're at school, pretend like we don't know each other. I don't want those other punks to know our business. But she's always just a phone call away. I had her blow me a couple nights ago to keep in practice. Ricardo saw no reason not to believe him. It made sense. It was what he would have done. He nodded his head in admiration. Maybe I better try her out. Will you give her a call for me? Tell her I need to inspect her? Sure. I was going to anyway. Sparn believed what he was saying. He enjoyed what he was saying. Nevertheless, he wanted to change the subject. Whatever happened to that girl you knocked up? Wasn't there some kind of trouble? Ricardo postured. Yeah, at first, before we got connected, 
I had a fucking lawyer and everything. They wanted me to pay for the stupid little bitch getting pregnant. The kid flashed a dour look. You're going to pay for something like that? No. I went to see the asshole lawyer last week. I set him straight. Nobody's going to pay anything. As soon as we take over, Mr. Moffat's going to call the judge. Sparn liked this discussion more than the exchange about Bobby. He continued prodding. Any problems at the lawyer's office? Morales hesitated, then decided it was time for payback. Yes, I did have a little problem. The fucking lawyer's bitch secretary gave me no respect. I almost slapped her tits and did her on the floor. I probably should have. She was lucky other people came in the office. No respect whatsoever. Richard jumped in. You can't let people treat you with no respect, especially bitches. Maybe we better teach her a lesson. Ricardo was pumped. I can't let this go by without doing something. She has to pay. She's a good-looking bitch, too. After we're done with her, we should put her to work. Richard agreed. This is something that should be taken care of quickly, like within the next couple of nights. Maybe tonight. Ricardo asked, Should we get the okay from Mr. Moffat? No. The last time I talked to him, he said we were so close to taking over that we should start acting on our own. I don't know her name. How are we going to find her? We'll go to the office and follow her home. We'll fuck her in her own bed. If she's married, we'll make her fucking husband watch. Should we bring anybody else? Richard decreed, No, this is personal, not business. You and I should do it alone. Ricardo was elated. The insult would be avenged. He forgot about inspecting Bobby, for now, and began concentrating on the bitch secretary. He would make her pay. The school bell rang, and out of habit, they scurried off to class. Immediately after classes ended, they intended to pay a visit to a certain lawyer's office. Kahane spent the entire day of Jason Grenk's funeral reviewing his plan, half the time rejecting it, half the time committed to it. Very few legal things were accomplished. Luckily, it was a slow day. Gina was caught up on everything and was trying to create busy work. At three in the afternoon, she went into Regis's office and begged for something to do. He had hidden his concern over Ricardo Morales. She seemed to have forgotten and was back to her wonderful self. Kahane told her that she could take the rest of the day off. She appreciated the time off. Her youngest child was celebrating a birthday the following evening and, in a fit of parental largesse, Gina had agreed to host a party of 20 of her daughter's nearest and dearest little friends. 5.30 p.m. sharp. The extra time today would just about allow her to have everything ready for tomorrow. Gina hit her front door and began a whirlwind of cleaning. Parties somehow caused the dust motes and other dirty little things to appear in mass. Kahane stayed in his office until six. He wrote the note 14 different times before he was finally satisfied. It was very simple. Simple was always best. 
He practiced passing it and felt silly, but it had to be done. When he felt comfortable, he left for the fine time. As he pulled from the parking lot onto the highway, he failed to notice Sparn and Morales lurking in the shadows. Ricardo nudged Sparn. That's the lawyer. They were sitting in Sparn's father's car, waiting for the bitch to walk out. The kid looked around and said, Where in the fuck is the secretary? Are you sure you didn't miss her? I'm positive. I'll never forget her dumb little face. Maybe she didn't work today. Sparn agreed. You're probably right. Are you sure they close at five? That's what she always said on the phone when I had to come in. All right. We can do it tomorrow. Call during the day to make sure she's there. Ricardo nodded. Okay. Tomorrow, then. We do the bitch. Sparn started the car and pulled into traffic. Let's get a hamburger somewhere and go to Mr. Moffat's. Don't mention doing the secretary. He's got more important things on his mind. Ricardo nodded again. Avenging his honor was all he was thinking about. You're listening to Many Cones by Steve Lestino.